Welcome to Settle Smart, a podcast produced by the National Structured Settlements Trade Association and hosted by Executive Director Eric Vaughn. Our podcasts are an educational resource about structured settlements for people who have settled a personal injury lawsuit to help them understand their best options for financial security. This can include you or a loved one who was injured in an automobile accident, injured on the job, or suffered from any number of injuries. We are here to help. We believe your injury settlement is your money, so keep it safe. Now, here's your host, Eric Vaughn. It's a real pleasure to have today on Settle Smart, the NSSDA industry podcast, the opportunity to speak with and talk with David Weissman. He is a senior investigative reporter. Is that correct with the Sun-Times in Myrtle Beach? Uh, the Sun News is our, our publication. Uh, official title would be Investigative Projects Reporter, yeah. And you're part of the McClatchy News Network. Yes, that's correct. And David, that would explain why we heard from people in our industry all across the country who read the story. So it didn't just end up in sometimes in Myrtle Beach, but just about everywhere else in the country. So congratulations to you and McClatchy for getting such a smart story out to so many people. Can you tell me and maybe our listeners, what prompted you initially to investigate the structured settlement factoring in South Carolina? Yeah, it's been so long that I can't, We even me and my editor uh, who've been working on this pretty closely, can't remember the exact origins of how we came to find the uh, Minneapolis Star Tribune's series, the uh, Unsettled series. Obviously, it, that won a bunch of awards, and so it was, it was pretty out there. But my memory was that another reporter had brought it to my editor. Her memory was that she just kind of found it somewhere, but she read that and asked me to read it and see if I was interested in looking into whether something similar was happening in, in South Carolina. And the general uh, thought in South Carolina as a reporter here is, if something is happening in another state that deals with potential uh, issues with the judiciary, then it's probably just as bad or worse in South Carolina. And it's worth looking into the the main issue was just, are we going to be able to find enough of these uh, deals to get data and get information on them? And then, so I found out pretty quickly that I was going to be able to do that. And so it kind of just went from there. It's interesting and disturbing at the same time that South Carolina passed one of the earliest Structured Settlement Protection Acts in the country, I think 2002. And it was at the time, I remember the industry being quite elated because these laws and states were going to stop, shut down factoring. The companies that do these factoring transactions find, find ways to get around those laws. But even worse in South Carolina, your neighbor to the north has put on an interest rate cap. And so people don't do many deals in North Carolina. So they pushed them down into your state. And in Florida, the last uh, five years, the worst of the worst of the worst of the factoring transactions and companies were shut down. And those people were flushed north to South Carolina. So did you find that maybe to be the most disturbing, that people were coming in from out of state to take advantage of lax or loose structured settlement protections in South Carolina? That's something I found a little bit of, and I one of my four stories kind of talking about that. Forum shopping in general is something that we were finding difficult to prove definitively. And, you know, as a print reporter, you can't really write anything unless you can back it up with facts, obviously. And so we did find a few cases where we seem to be, you know, the facts and the information I was able to find kind of showed definitively, yeah, this this person was coming here from out of state. And one of the things we really wanted to make clear in that story is 
the, the people that were doing this, from everything we, we can tell, it's not their idea to come into South Carolina to the smallest, not, not only that, to the smallest county in South Carolina oftentimes and do these deals where they're getting 25 cents on average on the dollar is what we found. But uh, it's something that they're convinced to do and that the uh, the factoring companies involved in those transactions are are telling them is legal and all that. So yes, that was disturbing, but I imagine there's more than I was able to prove, but it was enough that it was worth featuring in an article on its own. Well, and the the way you did cover it, forum shopping is not just coming in from Sarasota, Florida. It's also from different parts of South Carolina coming to a courthouse, a courthouse or a location that is not where the payee resides. That is one of the biggest abuses across the entire country. And you did find that in your reporting there in South Carolina. Yeah, that was a lot more, a lot easier to prove because I know the ins and outs of South Carolina's, you know, property record searches and court records and stuff like that. And so when I was able to find names, then it was easier for me to find out where they actually lived within South Carolina. And then as I found that, I I suspected that I might not get confirmation on it from the companies. But surprisingly enough, one of the attorneys that was doing it was like, yeah, you know, it's completely legal. It says they may be filed in the county where the person lives. It doesn't say they have to be. Unbelievable. Can I ask you just your own reaction? Because I was blown away. It was the only thing I could think to say. What was your reaction to Chief Justice Abidi's recent order that no longer uh, will allow assignments, instruction settlement payments to be heard by masters in equity or special referees? I thought that was just astounding. And I just wanted to yell, congratulations, David, what a fantastic job you and your paper did. If this is the only result that comes from it. Uh, Yeah, obviously hope it's not the only result because it seems to be maybe just a temporary solution to delay the cases. But yeah, it was nice to see that there was any reaction at all from the higher ups. As we were talking, getting towards the end of the investigation, bringing some of our findings to legislators in positions that we knew were in a spot that they could address these findings. We had been hearing, you know, that there have been talks with the Supreme Court Chief Justice and that they were interested in looking into it and addressing it. But to see how quickly that actually happened was, you know, pretty surprising. You know, I've been doing investigative reporting for almost seven years and so rarely does anything happen as a result of of our reporting, no matter how egregious what we find is, let alone happen so quickly to the point that his order actually came a day before our our first story published as a result of one of the legislators bringing our findings that we brought to him to the chief justice. This is not the last action by the courts, but what are your thoughts on how do you think the South Carolina judiciary could act to improve the process of the hearings for these petitions to transfer structure settlement payment rights. Are there any specific thoughts you have that you would, if asked, what would you suggest the judiciary consider? Yeah, I mean, I wrote that fourth story just kind of explaining what other states have done. Obviously, everybody's got different opinions. You got your organization has certain opinions about what needs to be done to protect people. And that's obviously the goal of of everyone that has a legitimate opinion is how can you better protect the people who have these structured settlements, particularly with people that have severe brain injuries or, or really, really need that money, which is obviously a good portion of the people. Otherwise, they wouldn't have had that the settlements set up that way. Obviously, the easy one that pretty much everyone agrees with, except for maybe the the smaller companies that are, are operating in the quote unquote shadows is there needs to be stronger language in the law to prevent forum shopping. I think judicial education is something that most people are in agreement on in terms of the judges who are overseeing these cases. They need to know 
how the structure settlements work, how these companies operate, and what sort of questions they need to be asking of the sellers when they appear before them. And then from there, there's just like a lot of things that seem common sense, but people have differing opinions with regards to, I think, probably a good idea that some states have put in required professional advice for the sellers can go before a judge. Although I know there's been issues even when states do that with like the factoring companies being paying for that professional advice. You mentioned the rate cap in North Carolina as being a good idea. I know there's differing opinions whether that is in the best interest of people who actually do have those immediate needs for money or not. And I've heard from many professionals involved in this industry since the story came out, including one who said that they believe the entire issue could be fixed by better protecting individuals' information to prevent these companies from knowing they got a structured settlement and prevent those elicited calls and advertisements in the first place so that they're only doing these deals if they really are in need of that money and seek out the companies themselves. Um, so I think they're, all, they're all good ideas. They are good. I know the, the company that mentioned the, the data protection, it's it's actually, again, disturbing, and I'd even say disgusting, that you have uh, factoring companies scraping court records to find uh, data, the name of the annuitant, the address, a phone number, the age, and then going from there to begin their process of I guess I'd use the word praying on these people. You mentioned judicial education. We were asked by the the judicial educational activities in Minnesota to put together a judicial education program for credit, for CLE credit for judges. We did it. We were uh, identified as an approved organization to present educational content. I'm sending a a letter to Judge Beatty today offering a similar educational program. And it's not NSSTA's judicial education program, but it's not the NSSTA vision of what the law should look like. It's what judges could do, the questions they could ask, the information they could request from a payee directly in order to make a best interest decision. I'll share the letter with you and we'll keep you apprised, but judicial education has a critically valuable role to play in dealing with judges. I'm sure you came across that in your reporting and your coverage of this issue. Yeah, it's just, I think these deals are kind of few and far between for for most judges. They don't come across them that often. Obviously, there are a few who are targets of the the forum shopping that that do see these deals a lot. That doesn't necessarily mean they understand everything that, that goes along with them. But that was something that was pretty obvious early on when I was talking with the judges. I was surprised at how many judges were willing to talk with me about that because judges are notoriously right. like to keep things close to the chest, especially when dealing with media. But I think part of the reason is they were just interested in this topic in general that no one had ever asked them about it. And they were wondering what I had found out and what other judges were saying. So there were And I I highlighted a couple of them in my stories. There are a few judges in South Carolina that were and have been doing what you would want them to do in terms of asking the right questions and very closely scrutinizing these deals and you know telling the sellers to go back and renegotiate. If if you really do need this money, you should be able to get a better deal than 25 cents on the dollar. You should be getting, you know, 50, 60 cents at, at a minimum. That was part of the issue, is it? It so depends on which judge the seller appears before, whether they're going to get abused by the system or not, I guess. And obviously, you wouldn't want it that way. There should be less, I don't know the word for it, but it should be more consistent across the board, I guess. No, I think that's exactly the way to describe it. We were talking about judiciary, but uh, is the legislature in South Carolina, do you think that's poised or would be interested in making legislative changes to the State Protection Act? Uh, Yeah, definitely. That I'm not going to say that 
I think it's going to happen 100% because I've been told in the past when I do stories, legislators are interested in, in fixing the mistakes I found. But, you know, particularly we proactive and like I said, before the story even published, bringing these findings to legislators that we knew were in a position to advocate for those changes. One in particular who is one of uh, our local senators here in Horry County, uh, which is where Myrtle Beach is, is the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, which is where any change to the Structural Settlement Protection Act would have to originate in South Carolina. And he has pledged, you saw in that story, to pre-file a bill for the upcoming session. So, and I've heard from other legislators that they're interested in supporting that. So I think the fact that particularly in South Carolina, so many legislators are themselves personal injury attorneys. And so they have been responsible for, they, they understand why structured settlements exist and why their clients have needed them. I just think they were unaware of how prevalent the factoring industry was in South Carolina. And so to see the numbers, especially that we were able to show them, I think they are interested in addressing it in whatever way they see fit. So I think it's just going to come down to the details of what bill they ultimately passes. That's actually great news. An open political debate on the other side, the factoring companies will show up. They will defend the practices that they employ, which that's the process of the debate. The more they describe their practices, the more legislative leaders appreciate the need for tightening up the, the language. So can I do something which I, I thought would be sort of funny if, if it happened to me, but Hopefully it's not funny to you, but just sort of a rapid fire. Let me give you a couple of ideas of what the, the law might be changed uh, to include. And just give me a reaction to it. Is it a good idea, bad idea? Hadn't thought about it. For example, number one, require the petition to be brought where the payee resides. I think most everyone I talk to believe that to be a good idea. <laughs> Perfect. Require the payee to be present at the hearing. Show up themselves. Yeah, and that that has been mostly happening, had been mostly happening in South Carolina, at least until coronavirus. And like I detailed, I think everybody just kind of got not, I don't want to say lazy, but just it, it became easier and more convenient to do them over the phone or over over webcam. But the fact that other hearings are have gone back to in the courthouse, I don't, I don't see any reason why these, these shouldn't. Uh, disclosure of the interest rate. Yeah. This is something that seems so simple, but we, you can ask the payee. Do you know what interest rate you're going to be paying? They don't have a clue. Disclosure of prior transfers. Yeah, that was a big one. The, some of the attorneys associated with the factoring companies, and it is not, not in the, the law right now. They don't. They didn't think it was necessary, but it seemed to me from my reporting and from talking with judges that if they had known that, they might have treated cases differently. So I, I think it's part of the process that judges should know about. We hear it from judges all across the country. Had I known the person standing before me was asking for his sixth or seventh or eighth transfer, I would never approve the eighth transfer. Judicial guidance on best interest. It's an elusive challenge, but it's a reasonable goal that a judge should be looking at what's in the best interest of the payee. Do you think there's a reasonable chance you could see that happening in South Carolina? Yeah, it's definitely something legislators, some of the legislators I've spoken with have expressed an interest with. I know judges are kind of hit or miss, like they want to know it goes back to judicial education. I just think the more they know, the better, but not all of them necessarily 
want to be pigeonholed. They want discretion, which I think is typically a good thing. You don't want to be in a position where you know all the facts seem to say one thing that this is, for example, this is a good deal. They do they do need this money, but for whatever reason, a legislator kind of overstepped with the law, and now they can't do it, even if they all the facts align that they can. So that they and should. Actually, I mean. you, and you mentioned this yourself, but uh, the appointment of a guardian ad litem maybe especially or most particularly in cases involving people with cognitive issues and challenges that are screaming for additional assistance in a court. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I obviously led with the story. My main story was mostly about the young woman with the traumatic brain injury allowed to do 17 separate transactions. It was just kind of unbelievable going through all the records and keeping finding her name and then finding her backstory and talking with her. It was just kind of unbelievable talking with all the people involved, how many people said that they had no idea that she had a traumatic brain injury when anyone that actually talks to her, you can understand. And she's functioning fairly well considering the circumstances, but it's definitely, given what happened, undeniable that she should have had somebody else looking looking out for her. David, your, that opening story, your initial story was heartbreaking, heart-wrenching, but also maddening because this is your first reporting on this subject, I'm assuming. And what yes. you found out by covering this woman was so obvious that had any judge, anybody meeting her and going through a, a life-altering decision to take a lifetime stream of payments and reduce it dramatically, eliminate it eventually, would never allow it to happen had they known what you found out in your reporting. Yeah, I mean, I certainly would hope that if if all the judges knew what she had been through, that they would have taken more precaution. And then that would, kind of goes back to Judge Beatty's order with preventing these from, at least for the time being, going to masters in equity or special referees, which I think, I don't know if this is happening in other, any other state. Maybe you do the, in the special referee system in South Carolina that all, a bunch of these cases are going to people that aren't even judges. They're just attorneys that get assigned these judicial powers. And I think Judge Beatty saw that as, as the biggest issue that needs to be addressed immediately. So that's what's happening. I don't think happening. there's anybody else in the country that does that. I'll, I'll check to make sure and I'll let you know. But you're right. That's something that's abusive or at least potentially has been for abuse. Well, David, I took up a lot of your time and I want to thank you very much. The investigative project reporter for the Sun News in Myrtle Beach, your reporting was terrific in terms of exposing certainly some problems and challenges facing injured people who have structured settlements and hopefully exposing enough abuse to attack the attention of both judges and legislative leaders. And we look forward to more of your reporting in the future. But thank you very much for an excellent and courageous piece of reporting. Yeah, thanks for having me, Eric.